And hello again, everybody. I'm Gary Thorne with the Sports Rivals. It is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Great to have you with us again. Our purpose here, we remind you, we try and preserve memories of classic sports rivalries through the words of those who participated in them. These are the rivalries described from the inside out. Our two guests today are Mark Sweeney and Lenny Harris. And they have been asked in their years in baseball to do one of the most difficult things, I think, uh, that is asked of any baseball player. And that is to come off the bench and be a pinch hitter, obviously occurring many times in key situations when you've sat and watched games where you have not participated. And then all of a sudden are asked in a key moment to come out and do something vital for your team. Now, obviously for both Mark and Lenny, they were position players. They played as a starter in innumerable games over their major league career. But for both of them, what became the hallmark for each was what they did coming off the bench. No easy task in the game. For Mark Sweeney, he was in the Major League Baseball from 1995 through 2008. Mark was drafted by the Angels in 1991. Mark finished with the Dodgers in the 2007-2008 seasons. 14 years for Mark Sweeney in Major League Baseball, played in over 1,200 Major League games. And as a pinch hitter, he would finish with 175 pinch hits. That is the second most all-time in Major League history. And Mark also ended up with 102 pinch hit RBIs, which is the number one record in Major League history. Now, Lenny Harris played Major League Baseball from 1988 through 2005. So these two actually were playing at the same time over a 10-year period in Major League Baseball. Lenny was originally drafted by the Reds in 1983, 18 years in the majors, over 1,900 games played for Lenny Harris. And he would uh, coach in the minors, still involved in uniform as a coach, including uh, times as a hitting coach with the Nationals. So the numbers for Lenny Harris, we told you Mark Sweeney was number two all time in the major league in pinch hits. Well, Guess who's number one? That would be Lenny Harris. His 212 pinch hits is a major league record. And also, Lenny had more pinch hit at-bats, over 800, than anyone else in major league history. So with that, we are delighted to have Mark Sweeney and Lenny Harris join us here today to talk about this difficult task of pinch hitting and how they got it done. Guys, I'll, I'll ask an introductory question to both of you. Lenny, I'll start with you. Uh, as you as you came up in baseball, obviously you were playing position, playing every day. When did you realize that the pinch hitting role was going to be something you were going to be asked to do on a regular basis? Well, it was um, kind of tough because when I broke in with the Reds, Ronnie Oster got hurt. Mookie Wilson slid into him. I got an opportunity to play second base a little bit. So I came in that situation, started some games, realized that was just temporarily because, you know, you had guys like Barry Larkin, Chris Sabo. You had some all-star guys out there. Mm. So, um, and I was young. I had just got in the big leagues. But sooner or later, I just kept playing, you know, just getting the opportunity to play in there. Ronnie Oster one time looked at me and said, man, you know, you got 100 pitch hits? And I was like, what the hell that mean? 
you know, I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. And he was like, you're only 50 pitches away from Manny Moda. I said, who the hell is Manny Moda? You know, I didn't know who he was because nobody wants to come off the bench and play baseball. You know, as a kid, you always want to be out there no matter what position. You just want to be out there playing. And that was the, the thought that I had coming through. So Tommy kind of sort of put me in that position and, and Ronnie Oster kind of led me towards it. But he was like saying, that is a gift if you can break that record. I said, shit, pretty much the way I'm going, I'm I'm going to break it easy because I don't miss. It just seemed like I don't miss. But when I'm playing every day, I don't get I don't get a damn hit, you know. So <laughs> and only thing I regret about it, I said, if I had some power like Sweeney and hit some more homers, I would have been real happy. You know, and that's the only thing that I got to because I used to swing for the fence, but I only get a base hit. So I used to be like, man, that's just that's just me. So I lived with it. But like great hitters like him. And it was another one like Mike Hansen was pretty good, too. I used to always watch him prepare, get his stuff ready. And he told me one time, he said, man, you battling up there. I said, yeah, I, I'm battling a lot right now because, you know, watching you, you get so many first pitch fastballs. You look at them. I would have been broke Matty Boulder's record. They would throw me a first pitch fastball like that, you know, so. We used to always fight through it and things like that. But like I said, it's great to be on this show today with, with Swinney, man. I love Swinney to death, man. It just meant me and him. And whatever he do, I follow him on his Instagram. I follow him, listen to him, watch, calling the Padre games and things like that. So, you know, th- those pitchers kind of stick together a little bit. Yeah, they definitely do. And uh, I'm honored to be on here too, guys. And uh, this game is beautiful. Lenny and I have a spirit for the game of baseball and the love and the passion for it. And that's where it really resonates with our relationship uh, and it moved forward in those 10 years that you talked about, Gary. But uh, for Lenny and uh, all of us that have been pinch hitters that were in that era, I think Lenny touched on it too. We never dreamed to be a pinch hitter. We dreamed about putting a major league uniform on. And to me, that was the essential part. And what was it going to take to keep me in that major league uniform, um, I absolutely love the fact that I got to play with Tony LaRusso, the manager, because he was the X's and O's guy. And I had to be prepared for those situations. I also had Willie McGee on the team in St. Louis, where I got to watch him at his later part of his career uh, adapt to that situation and just uh, just say, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up there and I'm going to swing the bat, because he always did. So being around Tony LaRusso, you had to be prepared for your role, but also you were nervous about getting sent back. So that was motivation for me. So that's how it really originated. Um, I, I just absolutely loved and embraced that role because I had to stay in a major league uniform. With Lenny, I always marveled at how he became that guy that was always super aggressive. And I had to adapt to that because I was really a hitter that wanted to work counts. And sometimes you can't do that as a pinch hitter, as Lenny understands. You got to go out there. Exactly. And you got to take some swings. Whatever's over that plate, uh, you, you got to take some swings. Yes, you can you can start working counts at times, uh, but man, I had to adapt to a lot of that stuff. And and I just I, I thought the world of of watching. I was the youngest of four boys growing up, so I always had to watch and learn. And I watched and learned not only from my team and Willie McGee in St. Louis, but I watched everybody, including Lenny. Um, I had to learn and adapt to that role. How do you, you both have already touched on it. Can you, can you talk about 
how do you adapt? How do you, how do you, how do you prepare to be a guy coming off the bench as a pinch hitter, Mark? Yeah, you know what? Uh, to me, it is preparation because you have to uh, make sure that you look at situations, look at the pitching staff. Um, I always focused my uh, attention to the relievers because if a starter's out there on the mound, you're watching him. You're watching how he adapts to certain guys that are in your your lineup. And maybe you'll pick out, uh, for me in San Diego, is Wally Joyner. I would watch how the starter would, would throw to him because it was that type of style that that I really uh, looked at. Not that he was going to throw the same pitches, but that's what I actually took in at bat like I was Wally Joyner in that game if it was against the starter. That being said, I was locked into the relievers. What was their out pitch? What was their uh, their fastball velocity? And what did they go to with two strikes? So that was the preparation part. The mentality is where I think Lenny understands when you're coming off the bench uh, you don't have time to take pitches. You don't have time to take fastballs. So I always became that fastball hitter. If I could handle velocity, um, I, I didn't worry about things. If I got beat by a breaking ball, hey, man, you got to tip your cap. As Lenny knows, Lenny, uh, what do you do for preparation? Well, like you said before, I mean, you hit it right on the head. We always want to know how hard a guy threw, you know, what's his velocity and things like that, and what was his out pitch. But I tell you what, there have been some tough guys on me because they know I hunt that fastball. And it's just like I, I always did. I just say, you know, I don't want this guy to get to his good stuff. But damn, if that Trevor Hoffman didn't throw me six, seven change-ups in a row and screw me in the ground, he had not been the toughest guy I think I ever faced because I already knew what was coming. I just couldn't hit that Bugs Bunny shit. You know, I was just <laughs> trying to keep my back and take it the other way, but you know, in times, you know, I make contact, but he got that ground ball, what he wanted. So, you know, I used to always say, man, we're going to San Diego. And I, I already didn't have to look at nothing else. I just knew I was going to face Hoffman and I knew it was coming and he steady just kept getting me out. And I said, man, this guy is so good. That's all I kept saying. I said, this wind up, the way he delivers his ball. I mean, I got him down to a T. I'd be imitating his wind up and I still can't hit this damn change up, but. <laughs> You know, that's just a part of the game, man. Some guys are tough on you and things like that. And I remember it, when I kind of first started, I, I faced John Candelaria, big six foot nine lefty. And I tried to bunt on him. And he said, if you bunt on me again, I'll hit you right in your effing head. And I said, oh, <laughs> Lord. You know, things like that. So you be aware because back in those days, the guy, the pitchers was being ever in a, to, to attack you, you know, and things like that. Now it's a little bit different. Guys stay out on that outer half so much. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a different game now. And, you know, you don't have to be a little nervous in the box anymore. But when we played, it was a different story out there. Yeah, it's funny that Lenny mentions uh, Trevor Hoffman. I, I think of Hell's Bells and and it, it, it taunts me. But in, in, in my dreams, but also I was a teammate of his. So when I heard Hell's Bells and I'm in the same uniform, I, I'm like, hey, man, this is the best thing ever. When you're on the other side and you hear Hell's Bells, uh, you're walking into uh, a whole a bunch of, of struggles because you know whatever you're thinking, back, back. he's thinking the opposite. He always threw what you were not thinking that was coming. Uh, it, it was incredible, and, and back, back. it really – resonates Lenny too of all the guys that you could go attack uh I think uh 
Mariano Rivera is the one that really sticks out in my mind. And I had to face him in the 98 World Series. It was the first time I've ever faced Mariano. And that, to me, mm-hmm. was like, man, first off, I, I was so excited. I was like a little kid uh, trying to match up with the, the best in the game. But also knowing that Trevor Hoffman's on my side as a Padre, um, the two best closers, in my opinion, that's ever thrown. But, man, that was when you go back to it, Gary, when you're preparing you you can't prepare for Trevor Hoffman and Mariano Rivera. That was it, it was survival when it came down to it. Exactly. You know it was coming, but damn, it was hard to hit it. <laughs> were you guys over the ten years where you were both playing at the same time? Were you aware of one another in terms of what you were doing as pinch hitters? I was, um, and. and I'll tell you this. First off, I was a fan of the game, as I mentioned earlier. So I always loved how people went about their craft. Uh, I always respected Lenny. And, you know, we would go up and, and during batting practice and how we introduced ourselves. I can't even remember when that was ha- happened. But after that, it was like I, I just loved his mentality. I loved his, his uh, uh, love for the game joking around with his, his teammates during batting practice. But when it was time to go, uh, he locked it in. So to me, that is an attribute that I try to uh, gravitate to. Um, I always learn from everybody else, but I always uh, marveled at what Lenny did. And you know what? Uh, you become later in your career, and I don't know if Lenny could say this, but later in my career, even when he was in a big situation, I wanted him to come through. Um, I, I know what that mentality is to be able to be on a team and have fun, but everyone always said, Hey, Lenny has a lot of fun in the game and man, he's, he's intense. Uh, Sweeney's a good teammate. Uh, he's always around. He's doing good things. He's a good locker room guy. Well, if you don't get any hits, you're not a good locker room guy. You're not, (laughs) you're not a good guy around the batting cage. I, I mean, it's about performance. So, uh, but I always respected the way Lenny went about his business, and I, I absolutely loved at the end of our careers and and watching him. Uh, I had so much more of appreciation than I did when I first met him. How about looking from the other side, Lenny? Were you watching what uh, Mark was doing? I, I pretty much watched Mark all the time, and um, I just wished I had the power that he had. I think <laughs> if I had that power, I probably would have made a little more money. <laughs> but like I, I had to uh, I had to keep what I had you know um, guys was like man you can't go deep you know in batting practice and things like that no I was just working the ball the other way because that was my swing you know I said I'm not worrying about pulling the ball or anything like that because in the game you're gonna your reaction takes over your athletic ability takes over so I always look for the ball out over the plate and I feel that if I can hit the ball hard the other way, if it ran in on me, I can just react to it and hit it. But that was my 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 reaction. Just keep the ball in the gaps. That's that was my way of hitting because they said that, man, you're a big strong guy and this and that. I remember when Todd Pratt told me that. He said, Man, you ain't got no home runs and you're hitting 325 <laughs> like that. And I said, Don't doubt me now. I can hit some home runs if I wanted to. You know, he goes, Ah, you, you. Big Judy. He said, you a big, strong guy with no pop. And I said, well, why don't we play out of me, you, Matt Franco. We, we're going to go. Whoever hits a home run, owe each other 100 bucks. 
And I don't know if you remember, Gary, I went on that road trip and hit seven of them and they didn't want to pay me no more. And I, was, I was like saying they stopped talking to me because you know how Matt Franco and Todd Pratt was. They was real close. And when yeah. I joined the Mets, and they didn't like that at all. I said, well, don't beef me up now. Don't get me going <laughs> like that. You started it. I said, I don't hit home runs, but I remember going on that road trip. And it was funny because a guy walked up to us in the airport and said, hey, Lenny Harris, where you get this fire from? You ain't never hit this many home runs and things <laughs> like that. So I would never forget that. That was something I, you know, I thrived on, but. Swinney was my guy, man. I always liked him. I said, man, that uniform fit him like muscle fitness. You know, he was like <laughs> real big dude. But that's my guy, though. But that's that's the that, that that was the fun of it. You know, the guys that challenge you and things like that. So we went all about our ability by playing the game. You know, so now it's a different story now in the game. You know, and 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 you're counting on this to do this, and you're counting on that to do that. But we went and, and we got it done. And that's what it was all about. You know, hey, you need to get this runner over. Hey, hey, whatever it takes, get him over. And that's the way we played the game, to win the game. So, you know, it's it's just a different outcome now. And while I'm here coaching now in the Reds AA Farm Club, a lot of guys always look at me. They say, why you looked at me like that? And I said, well, when you're hitting a ball out of a ballpark like that, you, you, you got to at least have 20 to 25. And he looked at me like I was crazy. I said, no, when guys hit the ball out of the ballpark, that's the way they make their living. Mm-hmm. You know, they hit the ball out of the ballpark, those three, four, five guys when I played. But guys like us trying to make a living, you got to get a hit. You got to stay on base. And, and I remember Pete Rose was my first manager and was telling me that. He said, you shouldn't even try to hit a, a fly ball. You need to use this turf to your advantage because you run well. And I thought about it, and it helped me so much. And, hey, I was doing it the rest of my life. You know, it's just my career in baseball. So, like I said, I wasn't blessed with that power. I had some. But just like they said, Tony Gwynn couldn't hit home runs and he can hit whatever he wanted to hit because he was like my favorite guy to watch practice. I used to get to the ballpark about 1 o'clock with a 7.30 game just to watch him hitting off the tee and things like that. That's the stuff that we did. We watched great greatness. We get to the ballpark and watch big Big Mac hit his line drives and things like that. You know, uh, guys like Larry Walker I played with. I've never seen some guys that's just all natural. You know, their ability took over so well. And, and, and the guys that I mentioned, they're just Hall of Fame. Everybody can't be a Hall of Famer. But I tell you what, their work habits was unbelievable. You know, they didn't sit there and watch much. But they, they, they contemplated so much to make them such a great hitter. So I always used to hang around the guys who can hit. Yeah, it was interesting. Lenny made a good point, too, uh, because what Pete Rose said to Lenny was information that everyone always said to us. And I think a lot of people and listeners don't understand that if we were everyday guys uh, throughout our career, we would have had a different approach, in my opinion. I don't know if Lenny could admit to that, too, but I had to reserve myself a little bit. I had to be able to manipulate the baseball around the field because you have to hit the whole plate. And even then some. So uh, there were times that Lenny knows that you're up there and the umpire has had a long day and you're going up in the ninth inning and this is your only at bat uh, of the day and you're trying to grind because you have to stay there. And the plate got bigger and, and, and you knew that those calls were going to be off the plate. So what I'm, why I say that is that you had to be able to hit 
two balls in off the plate, two balls off the plate. And if you did that, you have to take away, uh, hey, I'm not trying to power this ball out of the ballpark. I have to manipulate this baseball. I have to hit it where it's pitched, and I can't foul it off. Because if you foul it off, you're an out in this in this game, in this, in this role. So I reserved myself and, and probably tempered back a little bit to probably 80% as a hitter so I could hit the ball where it was pitched. And I had to teach myself those aspects because that was my only way of staying in a uniform. So um, I always watched that, and Lenny brought him up, uh, being around a Tony Gwynn, being around a Barry Larkin, um, being able to hit the ball where it's pitched was important for us. Uh, the guys that were just getting out on front, out front and trying to leave, leave the building, those weren't guys that we really, it didn't resonate with us. They knew that they had to do their job but not for us in our role. We had to we had to handle velocity and we had to handle pitches that were in off the plate or also off the plate away. Mm. Exactly. And you mentioned that. Well, I'm sorry, Gary, but no, no, you mentioned no. umpires. And I remember the great Eric Gray told me, I said, he called a pitch on me outside. And I said, dog, Big E, that ball's way outside. He goes, oh, shut up. I seen you hit that ball plenty of nights. <laughs> you know, so that gives you an idea that we got to come up there hacking, you know, yep. and, and that's what I did. I just felt like I'm not going to even try to let it hit the mitt no more. If I feel like I can make contact with it, because I had some ugly hits, and I used to tell these kids that, I said, you can't wait for that perfect pitch all the time because you're not going to get it sometimes. Sometimes like, I'm probably just going to say, hey, I'm staying out here. And if he throw it there, I'm going to call it again, you know. So sometimes, you know, you just got to go up there swinging. And I try to tell some of the kids today who I'm working on, I say, well, he asked me, was it a strike? I say, yeah, from third base, they looked at two cloaks, you know. So I just be trying to let them know that you got to swing the bat sometimes. Mm. You know, you both have touched on it a little bit. With a designated hitter coming into play, obviously in the American League, the pinch hitter all but disappeared. Uh, you got versatility guys on the bench, largely for defensive purposes. Uh, is there a role still for pinch hitters in this day and age in baseball, Lenny? I don't think so. You know why? Because half of the teams have everybody's a utility guy. You know, so you got infielders can play the outfield, and usually some of the kids, some of the organization are doing that. I mean, like here we um, in Double A, we. We, we even got a catcher playing left field, but he has that ability that he can do it. You know, so the game has pretty much changed when you had a left fielder was a left fielder, a center fielder was a center fielder, a right fielder was a right fielder. But right now, today, I think that's the cover-up for having so many guys that play so many positions now where you can use that and take out the middleman from being a pitch hitter because, like I said, the DHs hitters, like, in American League, it's pretty much always been that way, always going to be that way. But I think the National League kind of packed up a little more with versatility where guys can play the infield and outfield. So I think that's another way for, for those guys to cover up for uh, a, a, a DA, especially when the National League is going to play American League team. And, you know, I mean, you can pretty much use that for an advice because I think that's what most of the clubs are doing now. Yeah, I think Lenny's exactly right. Uh, I think it's a platoon game. Also, it's a pitcher's game, and it limits you from 
adding on those pinch hitters only um, that you'd have on rosters at times. Now you get to the 26-man roster, but they're adding pitching. Um, it, it really looks into that where it's platoon, and as Lenny said, versatility in the game is, is enhanced. Uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers showcase that every single night. They move position by position, and they get stronger as the game goes on. And I think that's really the indication of what's going to go on with the game of baseball. Back in the day, uh, even when Lenny and I were in that developing phase after our careers in, in other organizations, it was almost frowned upon. You were saying, hey, you know, you should try him out in the outfield to get him some more at-bats. They were like, no, no, we like to keep him at his infield position. We want to keep him there. Nowadays, it's like, what else can you do? Can you catch? Exactly. Can you move around? Exactly. And, and I actually like that. But then when you look at it selfishly, what our roles were and how important it was uh, to win a championship, uh, I think it's it, it really is sad to me that, that that role is going away and the pinch hitter becomes guys that are platoon guys and they're supposed to hit because they have to wait for a bigger situation later on to use the guy that has the most of at-bats. Um, it's really not uh, one of those niche uh, roles anymore. And unfortunately, it's gone away because I love the aspect of trying to create that situation. If I have to, if I know that Trevor Hoffman's in the ninth and Lenny Harris has had some good success against him, I'm going to keep him. And there's strategy involved with that, which uh, to this day and age, I think the strategy goes out the window. Exactly. And I think it picks up more during the playoff stretch when guys starting to build that that uh, playoff team together, they kind of see who does good against who, you know, who eliminates this guy. We don't need this guy on the playoff roster because he don't, he don't do much on this guy and things. So it's a chess game. And I think, like you said, Tommy LaRusso was so good at that because he used to always look at me and say, you're not going to beat me today, you know, and things like that. So, I mean, like I said, he's a great manager, great hall of famer. And, and, and guys do things like that. You know, Baker, Dusty used to always do that. And, you know, that strategy for saying, well, hey, I'm going to take my chance on this guy because I'll be damned if I let Sweeney come off this bench and beat me right here with this guy and things like that. So it's, it's a good matchup, but the managers have to do their, their job. And, and, well, not just the manager, the staffs have to really help them because sometimes they, doesn't, they don't see that. So when they get together, and stuff you have to go over some numbers and things like that since the game has pretty much came to that perspective but it's been there because like i said tommy you know larusa was like one of the first managers to start that and um you know he would he would make some moves and things like that and people would be like what the hell is he doing and then they find out oh that's what he's doing you know and things like that so that's what made him so great yeah lenny brings up a good point too in this realm of pinch hitting back in the day um you had to figure out your manager when he was going to make those moves. You had to be a second manager, which I think is the other aspect of pinch hitting that a lot of a lot of people don't understand. It wasn't just grabbing your, your batting gloves, grabbing a bat, put your helmet on, and go take some swings. You had to almost manage the game yourself. And, exactly. and my question to, to Lenny, too, because La Russa was, was one of those guys that you never knew when you had to be ready. And sometimes that's difficult to do your job. And I'll remember this. I was on the bench one time, and I was always a guy that 
the facilities that that indicated uh, you could go up and and take some swings in between innings or uh, when they're playing defense, you're out you're taking some swings just to get loose. Uh, those are those were really cool things. But I remember one situation with Tony Larusa, and I'm on the bench. It's the fifth inning, and our starter was actually throwing well, uh, but it was a close game, and he yells, "Sweeney, um, you're up!" and I didn't know where my batting gloves were. I didn't know where my bat was. Obviously, you know where your helmet is. And it was uh, one of those moments that molded the rest of my career as a pinch hitter because I wasn't prepared and I wasn't ready. And we touched on that earlier, Gary. It scared me to death that I said, I will never, ever have that happen. And why I say that moment is that it really drove me to be a manager of that game every single day. Where were you going to place the pinch hitter? When were you going to be ready? And I always wanted to be on the back shoulder of the bench coach or the manager because I wanted him to know I'm ready, whether I'm stretched out or whatever, I'm mentally prepared for that situation. So uh, to me, Larusa changed that, but but also you look at managers and Bruce Bochy for me was the guy that it was almost cookie cutter. You could almost sense when you were going to be asked to do something. And I think those managers were easier for us to do our jobs. Yeah, definitely. I think that Buck Walter was top, top dog on that too, because he always keep looking down there and looking for matchups and things like that. Buck was one guy who stayed on that, you know, I mean, those was the managers back in those days. They did all the hustles, the work, and 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 the chess game. You know, they made moves where they thought would be right. And uh, Buck was a Buck was just like Larusa. He was real good at that. I used to always imitate him, pretty much because I said if I ever become a manager, that's the way I want to manage. I wanted to manage like Buck Showalter. Even I've been with some great managers, you know, and and, and I'm gonna say that um, my manager in uh, in um, and what um, Leland pretty much was the same way. And, you know, it's just like Bobby Valentine was awesome with it. I mean, he would sit down there and me and Matt Franco just looking at each other. And I said, he said, Lenny, come up here. I tell, look at Franco. I said, don't get mad <laughs> like that. You know, so <laughs> this is always, you know, it was always something going on with us because it started in Cincinnati when I used to always say that we were just stuntmen. You know, every time we went out there, Eric Davis or, you know, Cal or somebody came out the game or they double switched, we'll went in or I'll go in and run for the pitcher or something like that. We was always active. So playing for people like Pete Rose and and Buck and and, and Valentine's, I mean, you, you have to be ready. You just can't come off the bench pretty much like sitting there watching a game and get caught up. You always have to be stretching. You always have to get a chance to do something. Some places you can't stress that much, like Chicago, you know, places like Arizona, you can get out of there and 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 do a little something, you know. You can you can stretch a little more. It all depends how that clubhouse was. So I'm sure some of the new stadiums now look a lot different now where you have a lot more space, but we didn't have much room. So they kind of kept a bicycle close where you can ride it a little bit and, and stay warm. Quamcon. I used to just run up the dug run up the hill all the time to yeah. the clubhouse just to break a sweat, you know, behind the stadium and things like that. So um, it was difficult, but you had to feel like if you, you had a little sweat going, you had a chance. 
Because if you didn't have a little sweat gum, you, you was in trouble, you know, especially in cold weather places like Chicago and, and, and St. Louis at the time early in the season or in Cincinnati. So you had to stay as warm as you can and, and do the best you can when you came off the bench. Yeah, it's interesting that Lenny says this too. Uh, in Wrigley Field, uh, all you could do is trunk twists because it was the <laughs> tunnels, right? So you're doing trunk twists to, to face uh, the late Rod Beck uh, in yeah. there, and he and he's swinging his arm, and you got you got uh, you got to attack this. But you're going on. Hey, am I stretched out? And there were times, Gary, that you, you take a first swing and you'd swing and miss, and everything would crack. And you're like, okay, now I'm ready. Uh, it was one of those things. But nowadays, uh, the fans don't understand that that the facilities are so good, and there's a you know a batting tunnel right next to the dugout. That is amazing to be able to say, you know what, I'm just gonna put a few balls on the tee. There were times I would do like a walk-up drill just to, you know, crack my back. Your job was already done. Your preparation was already done of what you had to hit. But you were getting loose. And that was the challenge all the time. I mean, I stretched my hamstring more times than I've ever gone to the bathroom in my life. Uh, and I still couldn't run down the line without it hurting at the end of my career, Lenny. You know that, man. It wasn't easy to get loose, but you had to figure out some yoga techniques, whatever you were going to do. Exactly, exactly. Guys, I got to ask you, uh, each of you, um, I'll elongate the question to give you a chance to think for a minute. Um, all the times you went to the plate, if I was to ask you, give me the one pinch hit at bat that you remember the most for whatever reason, Mark, you know what? It, I have to do the world series. Cause it was Mariano, Mariano Rivera. Um, they were, they were two. So it's the, it's game three and we're in San Diego and here's Mariano. And I, I swung at every pitch I faced uh, in, in the world <laughs> series. Cause it was just the intensity the levity of the moment, um, I was swinging. So he throws that first pitch cutter, and I got out front of it, and I lined it to right. And I'm going around first base thinking, I just got a line drive off Mariano Rivera. I mean, <laughs> let's plan the retirement party because that's, that's what it became. And I'll tell you this, Gary, um, I ended the World Series against Mariano Rivera the, the, the next night. And one of my favorite stories, because I swung at the first pitch as they announced my name, and, and I swung at it, and I missed it by a foot. I mean, it was just one of those embarrassing swings that Lenny knows. We've all had them. So I swing at it. Right. Then the next pitch is a four-seam fastball, because he's like, hey, get out of the way, man. We're winning this World Series championship one way or the other, and you're going to be the last out. So he four-seams a fastball. 96 miles an hour, and I followed straight back. I'm 0-2 before they they finish Sweeney. Uh, that that's how it, it ended. And I hit a, a soft line drive, um, uh, one hopper to to Scott Brocious. And the reason why it was a win for me is that I look at every World Series and I made the last out, which is really frustrating for me. But I didn't finish it as a strikeout, and that was the only at bat I had my whole career that I said, I am not striking out. Because I never worried about that. I had, you just swing the bat. You just take your at bat. 
But I was like, this is the last out of the World Series. I am not striking out. I'm not seeing that catcher jump up, Joe Girardi jumping up, and them embracing. Because that's the video you're going to see the rest of your life. Now you see me casually run past first base, and you see Derek Jeter jumping up and all that stuff. But those were the two at-bats that I remember the most uh, because it was at the grandest stage. Now, I've got I've to ask you this. On that last one for the last out, this is where... Mama comes through for you. Huh? Oh yeah, <laughs> this is this is the greatest too to to finish this. So I'm uh, I'm ticked off, and Lenny knows it, man. Hey, you you fight those demons in your head uh, uh, the rest of the night. You're staring at the walls. You're doing all this stuff, and I go out. My family's there for the the whole World Series. So I am just ticked off that we lost. We got swept. We got embarrassed against the Yankees. And then you just come to realization that, you know, what what just happened and what you were involved with. So I go out to the, the player's parking lot, and here's my parents coming at me. And they embrace me with a, a big hug, and I'm sitting there with my dad. And my mom looks up at me, and, and I say this with all due respect because I love her to death. She goes, honey, I'm so proud of you making the last out. And I, I had a pause and I had a fury in me. Like, what is... I, and I looked at it, I go, Mom, I love you so much, but now's not the time. It's not the time to say that. But it was one of those things. It's one of those funny stories that mom's being a mom. Hey, dad didn't say anything. He didn't have to say anything, man. He knew I was ticked off. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things that I embraced. But I always uh, have a good chuckle of it because making the last out of the World Series is not fun. But, man, I, I had so many different emotions. I didn't strike out. I went against Mariano Rivera. And you know what? My mom said it was the greatest thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Lenny, how about you? Favorite moment? Hey, I tell you what, I I had I had so many, and and, and it's tough to remember this one. I remember hitting. I was with the Marlins, and, and they said Gagne had a thirty-seven inning scoreless innings pitching. So, make a long story short, I was getting on deck. Um, they called me a. Uh, uh, the the camp come up the hit so I was like oh boy so as I'm in the on deck circle this guy just hackling me telling me how old I am you got no chance against Gagne and this and that and just firing me up at the same time I was just saying oh my god this guy really that's what I needed you know so next thing you know I end up hitting a, a three run double it cleared it up. Next day, Gagne didn't talk to me, but I it was okay. But it, that wasn't really bothering me. It was the guy behind me hacking me. But the most memory one that I would never forget, that Carl Sponsworth struck me out on Thursday night in, in Marlins Stadium. And he jumped up like he won the World Series and pumping his fist and everything. And I'm just... You know, it's kind of embarrassing because I, I I struck out plenty of times, but nobody never showed me up. You know, they were so happy. So I was like kind of, you know, pissed off about it. So the next day during batting practice, I told Terry Pendleton, I said, what's his problem? He goes, man, I don't know. He was so happy to get you out and this and that. I said, yeah, I hope that it doesn't happen tonight. I hope I don't get my last chance to face him ever again. Because I think it's going to be a different story. I don't think I'll strike out, but I'm going to go out there and battle him. And we got to the same count 
And I hit one, I think I almost hit Bob Greasy jersey up there, right field. And as I'm running around, I'm looking at Terry Pendleton, and he's on the floor laughing. <laughs> and like that, so the next day, he said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I saw the look in your face. But I told him to tell him, don't you ever show me up again. I said, be professional about this game. And like I said, I don't hit home runs. I was laughing all the way around the bases. <laughs> Because I felt so embarrassed. You know, when a guy just jumping up and down and screaming to my, yeah, I got his ass. <laughs> and just like that. And so that was my most memorable home run ever. And it was next year I was gone. After that, it was no more. So that was the last thing I thrived on because you say you never wake up a sleeping dog. And that's what he did. And he paid for it. So sorry, um, Mr. Cobb. You, you know what, Gary, uh, and and I'd be remiss to to not mention him because he was the staple um, in pinch hitting. And, and Lenny and I, uh, Lenny knows how much respect I had for him. But I always looked at Manny Mota as the guy, uh, right? When we were coming up and we were embracing our role. So when I first met him was at Dodger Stadium. And I said, I, I said Manny, do you mind uh, signing a baseball for me? And he wrote on, and I still have it, he says, never take the third pitch strike, right? So uh, that was his message to me, which I thought was really cool. And we, and we continued our relationship as we went. And when I was in a San Francisco Giants uniform, I tied, I tied Manny and I, I went past Manny. And obviously Lenny already you know, set the bar. But when I, when I passed him, he wrote me a letter and sent it to me to to the clubhouse after that, congratulating me, which I thought was really cool because that was one of the guys that you just respected and you knew what he had to do in those great Dodger teams, but he ended up embracing that role. So that was the respect that I always had. And Lenny has spent so much time with Manny Mota as well. Um, that was a cool moment for me, not to pass him, but to be mentioned, and I think that's what you real you start realizing is that when you're mentioned as doing your craft the right way and going about your business, I thought it was so cool. So those those memories are at bats that I think some some people might minimize. I never did because I always respected the the history of the game and, and thinking about the John Vanderwalls of the world. Uh, Orlando Palmero is one of those guys. Dave Hansen. Those guys were, were great. So when it became that, Lenny and I were in the Dodger uniform at the same time. Lenny was already done, and he's up at the big league level because he was a hitting instructor. And I'm still there. And that's Manny. And then Dave Hansen was in the organization as well. And we took a picture down in spring training. And, and I don't know if Lenny remembers this. but I still have that picture on my wall. It's, it's a treasure for me. Because to me, that's the, the the respect part of it, and I'm sitting there like I, I I don't. If it was the three of them, I would just hold it in 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 such high regard. That's what Manny Moda, that's what Lenny Harris was, Dave Hansen, the John Vanderwalls of the world. That's what it became. It was almost that fraternity that you felt, and I'm I'm just honored to be able to not only play the game of baseball, but to be around those guys and the respect that I had for them. I thought that was really cool for me. Definitely. I was the same. I, I felt grateful to be in that picture because it's in the middle of my living room and people always say, who's those guys? I said, the best that ever did it. Yeah. I said, right there, he started it off 
and things like that. But I tell you what, that, that picture tells it all because every time somebody asks me about it, I just have a big smile. I just said, these guys right here was the best. <laughs> and and it, it brings chills to me a lot because, you know, when you accomplish something in the game and, and, and you enjoy it, just like I tell these guys right now, they always say, man, you always feel like you feel an energy. I said, man, you don't feel it, you know, and things right. like that. It's a different feel from us and the guys today. So, you know, they always think I'm crazy, but I said, no, man, this is this is life, man. This is the best thing in the world to play baseball. And, you know, it's hard to wake these young guys up today. But like I said, like my dad said, if you want it, you got to go get it, you know, and, um, you know, sometimes you can't make a guy go get it. It got to be in his heart and he has to believe in it. Well, you guys, you two certainly have that. I can't believe we've uh, we've taken up your time here. We have for the show, uh, but we always want to give our guests the opportunity to promote, promote, promote. Never let an opportunity like that go by. So, Mark Sweeney, <laughs> MLB beginnings, talk to us. Yeah, you know what? It, 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 thanks for bringing it up, Gary. I, I have the the beauty, as as you've already heard. I love the game of baseball, but I also love the first. And our our, our podcast, MajorLeagueBeginnings.com, on our website is all about first. And it's and I can mention it to Lenny now. When you get called up to the big leagues, everyone has a unique story, and then everything else develops, whether it's 18 years for Lenny, uh, it's seven years. We've had the ability to navigate through people's careers because of the start, and their AAA or AA manager telling them they're going to the big leagues, and then your journey starts. And it is so much fun to be able to talk to these guys, take the listener into the locker room, and hear the passion that Lenny Harris has and Hall of Famers, All-Stars, guys that have played um, in the game or even involved in the game. And it's not just players either. It's broadcasters. It's uh, Kim Ng from the, from the Marlins being able to be a general manager for the first time. We've been able to have a great platform to tell stories that are very evergreen and I love the stories of every individual in this game of baseball because it, what, it's what makes it so great. All right. So listen up on it. Mark Sweeney, Lenny Harris, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing the insights of the time that you played and, and what it was like. And one of the, as I said, and, uh, and I believe one of the most difficult roles baseball has ever asked players to do, and that's come off the bench in key situations as a pinch hitter. That's going to end another chapter of these sports rivals. A word from our sponsor, head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We are these sports rivals presented by BetOnline. You can find the show at Believe.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. To learn more about this and other episodes, log on to thesportsrivals.com. You can join in the conversation with questions and suggestions for future shows. Also, follow us on Instagram at thesportsrivals, Twitter at rivals underscore podcast, and Facebook by searching for thesportsrivals podcast. Thanks one and all, and thanks to our guests here today. And remember, it is the rivalries that make the games.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.